2: Go behind the scenes and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. You're entering another world, one just a few feet beyond the safe glow of the streetlight, into the dark, one slight step off the edge of the map, into the land of monsters. Today's tale, a disturbing blend of fiction and fact. Three intrepid podcasters stumble across a story more disturbing than they ever could have imagined. In partnership with (coughs) Stuff They Don't Want You To Know presents The Tale of the University Six. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now, or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Mark.
0: My name is Neil.
2: They call me Bill. Today we've got a strange one, folks. It's part mystery, part possible cover-up, and just maybe part paranormal. So as you know, we spend a lot of time on the show making sure anyone who wants to reach out to us can do so. We opened a door, you could say, and over the years we've encountered all manner of amazing, frightening allegations, but this one is a little bit different. We received notice of this story from a source that wishes to remain anonymous. And we're making this the first of a two-part series. Let's dive in. Here are the facts.
0: Yes, the facts, the historical facts. Uh, The story, um, as we can tell, at least as near as we can tell, starts somewhere around the dawn of the 20th century. Um, The United States was quite a different place back then. This was uh, before the advent of the Internet, widespread use of television, before people traveled widely via the interstates or airplanes. But it was also, in a lot of ways, quite a dangerous time throughout the 1800s. Yeah, Over the course of the 1800s, the
2: industrial eras of Western Europe uh, and the U.S., as well as the Civil War in the United States, led to many disastrous things. We've talked about the dangers of war in the past. One thing that's not examined as often is that it led to an increase in mental health patients. We're talking about PTSD, even though it wasn't recognized as such at the time. We're talking about the shock of Entire populations fundamentally changing their lifestyles from an agrarian to an industrial economy, huge numbers of immigration from one country to another. This all spelled trouble for mental health. And previously, most people with mental health issues or with physical handicaps were taken care of by their families or maybe a hodgepodge of institutions. You've heard about these in the past, sometimes state-sponsored, often religious orders. But now, a lot of these families who would have previously taken care of of, of their relatives found themselves living in cramped urban environments, working very long, demanding jobs. They had neither the time nor the space to care for their loved ones. But there was a solution.
1: Asylums. Oh, boy, just the name kind of strikes fear in the hearts of, of many people. I would say me, I think, just thinking about abandoned asylums that I've visited or seen. I mean, it's cre- they're creepy yeah, what, things. What a,
0: what abandoned asylums have you visited,
1: Matt? You give me the, the juice there. Well, we've talked about it on the show before. Uh, there was one that is now a large park in Dunwoody, Georgia, that I visited on several occasions. Seriously? Uh,
0: oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Forgive me. I had no uh, idea.
1: For sure. Uh, but the you know, asylums were built as a way to house people who were in mental health crises, who had who had problems, who were dealing with the things Ben and Noel just described. And there were often facilities that housed a ton of people. A lot, a lot of people. And the funding wasn't always there to keep them running, you know, in the way they probably should. And also, guys, think about the science. We've talked about it on our human experimentation episodes. The science that was
2: behind
1: treatment for people in these asylums. Science.
2: I need right? some quotes, air quotes. Well, the, there there are a couple of things here that are really important. Like these asylums sometimes weren't purpose built. They may have been older things like manor estates or even castles that were repurposed, right, and came with dark histories of their own. Uh, mental illness as defined back then, was very, very loose and quite unscientific. You know, there would be people with uh, psychological conditions, but there might also be, for instance, women who did not want to be in an arranged marriage, right? Or uh, were speaking out for their own personal rights, and they were treated as though they were insane. There was also a great deal of antagonism against what were considered to be the mentally ill. They were believed to be a danger to the greater population. Uh, Asylums then were not necessarily rehabilitative in their their goal. Instead, they inspired to be um, uh, islands of quarantine, right? To imprison, to house what they saw as the unfit
0: yeah and I mean a lot of these quote unquote treatments like you said I mean things like lobotomies and you know shock therapy fever therapy um, you know purposely induced insulin comas were akin to like medieval torture what we might think of as ways of getting people to talk you know like in uh, prisoner of war type situations even I mean really really gnarly stuff that would have felt much more at home like in a you know medieval dungeon Um, not to mention that you know we have isolated examples uh, of folks in charge of some of these types of facilities using their patients to uh, experiment on, essentially, to, um, you know, further what they thought of as their life's work. Yeah. And it's not hyperbolic to say it was somewhat of a wild west.
2: These asylums quickly become overcrowded. There's not very much in the way of uh, substantive, rigorous oversight. Uh, And as you said, Matt, there wasn't a lot of funding, also the staff didn't really know how to deal with many, many of the conditions they encountered. These new mental health treatments that were introduced were often not subject to scientific methodology, and the families of these patients often did not have any kind of guarantee of access to their relatives. So if you were struggling or a loved one in your family struggling with mental health issues in the early 1900s in the United States, it, it would be on your family to take care of them. But what often happened is the family would go to a doctor and they would ask this doctor to say, you know, uh, whether or not a patient should be institutionalized. And it was very common for these patients to be locked up, regardless of whether they want, they gave consent, or whether they had the capability legally to consent to something like this. And about seventy percent of those patients were hospitalized involuntarily during this time. The idea was that you know you you as a family are making a sacrifice for a greater good. People believed at this time that they they believed that mental illness was heritable and their logic was that if you could eradicate mental illness, quarantining it the way that you would quarantine people who suffered from a physical disease, then you would eventually eliminate the disease altogether. And what happened to the people who were the carriers of these, you know, so-called diseases? Uh, We're not saying that we think that. That's just how medicine at the time approached it, well, it didn't really matter what happened to them. Just keep them out of the public square. So these patients, which could be called prisoners, shared overcrowded rooms. Absolutely no privacy, very little way in the way of hygiene. If the staff is abusive to you, there's no one you can tell about it. Uh, The food is often inadequate, um, sometimes spoiled or rotten. And The rooms are locked. It very much is like a prison. If there was a fire or someone acted violently, there wasn't any way to escape.
1: And it wasn't just the doors, you know, it's the windows too. There's that, there's a facility here in Atlanta that is, gosh, I want to say, I don't know if it's CDC. I can't remember which institution now runs the building, but it's often rented out for filming. In Atlanta right now, but it used to be a mental institution of some sort, some kind of asylum where you can see this exact thing with the doors that are fully secured, uh, where you'd have to have a staff member opening that door either way. And the windows are all fully barred up, like all up and down this this rather tall building. It's very creepy. It kind of reminds me of, I think a while back, guys, we talked about the Willowbrook. Mental institution that was on Staten Island. There was a mm-hmm. there was an expose on that facility a while ago that's that really just showed the reality of all the things we've been describing thus far in the episode.
2: Yeah, Geraldo Rivera actually covered Willowbrook. Mm. Uh, a while back, yeah, Uh, in Willowbrook 50 years later with Geraldo Rivera, so do check that out if you want a gripping and, uh, in no small way, disturbing exploration of what we're talking about. Yeah, some patients were given menial tasks, and this was not, to be clear, this was not so much to engage them in a healthy stimulation as it was to, Keep costs down for the institution. So they might garden vegetables, they might do basic cleaning, maybe laundry, stuff like that. But uh, many of them were simply locked away and sometimes forgotten. And this is, to uh, your earlier point, Noel, this is the age of treatments that would clearly seen as torture to any upstanding medical professional today. Lobotomies, as you mentioned, uh, seizure therapy, which is purposely inducing seizures. Uh, insulin comas also purposely induced something that I had not heard of called fever therapy. That is where you literally give folks malaria to induce what? a fever. Jeez. Yeah.
1: To try and get the other bad stuff out, I
2: guess. <laughs> you know what? Uh, It would be interesting to hear a doctor defend that practice.
0: Well, I mean, again, a lot of this stuff really has the ring of like trepanation, like drilling into the skull to release demons or, you know, like leeching or um, bloodletting. And uh, lobotomies in particular are barbaric
2: because when lobotomies were in their heyday, medical professionals did not know enough about the workings of the brain to understand what they were doing, uh, they, were just, they were just giving people brain damage, to be clear. No one walked out of a lobotomy better than they were in the beginning. There were also ice baths, deep, deep isolation, Think like supermax prison level, uh, constant physical restraints being tied down almost 23 hours a day, stuff like that. And obviously, these treatments tended to do more damage than good. Sometimes they resulted in death. And while there are many, many examples, tragically, of these houses of horror masquerading as halls of healing, there is one case that is fairly obscure but notorious uh, locally. It is the story of Homestead State School and Hospital, which is sometimes known as the Black Castle. But what was this exactly? We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with more.
0: There's plenty to celebrate in March and...
1: Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy, and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's Radio's iHeart Country Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
2: And we're back.
0: So Homestead was built over the course of uh, several years between 1903 to 1908, just a couple of miles outside of a place called Hazard. Pennsylvania seems appropriate, given where we're heading. Again, this is uh, during what could very rightly be called the dark days of medical science and treatment. Um, People struggling with mental illness, however it may have been loosely defined, were treated not as people who might need help, but as the criminally insane. Um, This was also... The age of eugenics, Uh, the idea that um, certain individuals did not deserve to be part of society due to uh, perceived traits, whether it be um, inherited from their lineage uh, that was seen as being unclean in some way or the color of their skin. Any number of things could have been lumped in with uh, eugenic kind of casting out of certain individuals and paramount on that list was this this idea of having mental illness and
1: then in 1913 the pennsylvania legislature they appointed this new thing it's called the commission for the care of the feeble-minded which stated that disabled people were you know unfit for something like citizenship something that we we Recently talked about with Baratunde actually taking part in the democratic system. They thought the disabled wouldn't be able to do that, or perhaps shouldn't be able to do that. And that they even posed a menace to the peace, which just uh, feels awful.
2: Yeah. You know, no bad person thinks they're a bad person, right? And nobody wakes up and says, I'm the villain today. Well, I, I do. But just today. But just today. So this commission was. Dead set not on helping people who are disadvantaged by a perceived uh, condition, physical or mental. Instead, they were dead set on preventing what they called the intermixing of the imprisoned and the general population. Again, they believed that by quarantining these people to whom they objected, they could root out mental conditions from the population overall. And how do we know this? It's not just our opinion. In one of their biennial reports, Homestead's managing board of trustees literally explicitly quoted a leading eugenicist of the time, a guy named Henry H. Goddard, who could be uh, an episode all his own. Here's what they quoted from Goddard. And again, this is in a government report. Quote, Every feeble-minded person is a potential criminal. The general public, although more convinced today than ever before that it is a good thing to segregate the idiot or the distinct imbecile, they have not yet been convinced as to the proper treatment of the defective delinquent, which is the brighter and more dangerous individual. Important to note here, mental health institutions of this era in the U.S. and abroad were also used to silence Women, silence women, silence people who were maybe female identifying anybody who was seen by the current status quo as being difficult. And they were subjected to torture, uh, lobotomies in particular, isolation, incarceration, uh, and they were also often subjected to abuse. Uh, during these times. And to be clear, this went across demographics. You can find infamous cases of uh, women from very well-to-do families being subjected to these operations at the behest of their own relatives.
1: Makes me think of the long-lost Kennedy. Exactly.
2: Yes, exactly. But something went wrong at Homestead, even by the standards of the time. Rumors began to spread, rumors of unorthodox, ghoulish experiments. To the staff of Homestead, this was the forefront of medicine, the greater good, the the rationale being that the ends justified the means in pursuit of some imagined greater good. To the few outsiders who were able to learn about what was happening, the reality was much, much worse. Whispers proliferated. And in hushed tones, locals would begin sharing legends of something they called the laboratory.
1: Oh, man. So these are these are some crazy rumors. This this quote laboratory, and uh, we've heard about this by the way, uh, us on this show. Uh, these rumors were, although, just rumors, right? That's all it was. It was like tales that you would, uh, horror tales you tell around a campfire about this really genuinely creepy place that had bad stuff going on and you know, arguably bad people
0: doing bad things. It's a winning combination.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Until there was a fire. And as we talked about before, these these buildings are so tightly controlled and sealed. When there's a fire on the inside of one of these buildings, it's going to be horrific, especially for the people that can't open their own doors. Many right? of the
0: areas are subterranean as well. Um, it would just be nearly impossible to escape. Absolutely. And so the institution met a
2: fiery end of sorts. Throughout the 1960s into the 1980s, time wound on and America moved on. There were a few stories about the place and how it was... Abandoned, or maybe not all the way abandoned, but they quickly faded from the news. And sure, there were other stories to focus on, you know, the Vietnam War, other wars, domestic chaos. uh, But let's be honest, this remains part of the past that American culture would rather forget. Except, not everyone. You see, sometime in the mid-1990s, a group of history students at a local university decided to explore the abandoned ruins of the so-called Black Castle as part of a group project They wanted to determine, once and for all, the doom that came to Homestead. Hashtag uh, no Lovecraft, but that's, that's the Lovecraft reference. And after a word from our sponsor, we'll tell you what we've discovered.
0: here's where it gets crazy so you may uh hear whispers of this group referred to as the university six and as we record none of these students these uh these bright young minds have been seen since and remain officially missing today so what what exactly happened well as
1: we do on this show when there's something like this going on, we try and call primary sources, we try and call you know reporters, and in this case, law enforcement, just to see if we can get any actual details, right? Because there's not much just in the public sphere that we could find, uh, but we didn't get anything, at least out of the the local police department there or the sheriff's office. So I don't know, we're, we're at a bit of a loss. Everything just kind of went cold
2: until it seems quite recently. You see, over the past several weeks, we've been receiving some strange materials and artifacts that appear somehow related, uh, it's implied that they're related to these long forgotten disappearances. They appear for the first time to just maybe describe the fate of the University Six. And, you know, Mark, Neil... As, as we all know, as we talked about off-air, these things are disturbing, but they're indistinct. Uh, we see this pretty often whenever we get a, a message about a purported cryptid or a UFO. Uh, you can see maybe there's something there, but knowing the provenance of that is kind of difficult. Is it just a floating colored blob? Is it an artifact of the technology used to obtain the image? One thing's for sure, uh, looking at it, it seems as though the... Um, The photographer, whomever they might be, was maybe in a hurry.
1: Or they're really freaked out.
2: Or they're a really bad photographer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the still images, all the problems you just described, Ben, are present in what we've seen here. But there is another thing. There is a video where if you don't have such a steady hand or you are freaked out or you're running or something, you're still going to create you know, hundreds, if not thousands of still images at once. Those are a little bit easier to go through. And we do, in fact, have a video. And uh, it's weird, man. It was just a USB drive, you know, plug into your machine, which don't do, you know, generally don't do that. OK, even if it's sent to you from a known address, don't put a USB drive in your machine.
2: Uh, we put it in a work computer. <laughs> well, let's play the clip. Is this thing on? Hmm. Trees look nice. Too bad we have to spend all weekend
0: digging through some old junk.
2: It's called research, Emily. Mm-hmm. You know you have a 4.0 and are pretty much a genius, but don't waste the battery on that thing.
0: I am documenting our research. The. <laughs> look at this place. Creek city in here. Sounds that that. Hmm. Are we
2: early? does it sound like that. Let's find the rest of the class. Okay, let's let's pause here and un- unpack this. Um you know all, all three of us had done I think video projects uh, and audio projects in college, so we know what it's like to not work with the best of equipment.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, this really does have the feel of kind of like a college uh, you know student film kind of vibe
1: well let's so let's talk about what we're seeing here guys um we're We're clearly exterior. we've got a uh, what appears to be a man and a woman in the shot uh they are describing what appears to be some kind of assignment or group project, I guess, where they're going, they're physically traveling to this place that we've been describing, this black castle uh, or homestead, and they're talking about research that they're going to be doing there. I mean, it it seems pretty innocuous, at least at first.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can tell a few things if we're just being objective here. One of the speakers is named Emily, or at least the other speaker calls that person Emily. And this matches up with what we know from the police, because there was a person named Emily Waterhouse listed amongst the missing students. That doesn't, to be fair, that does not necessarily mean we're hearing from the same Emily. but I would say it's intriguing nonetheless. And there are a couple other things that stood out to us.
1: Another thing that does stand out that leads a bit more credence to this perhaps being the University Six, uh. One of the, the male character in this part of the video mentions that there are other students that are already inside or he thinks at least that they're already inside the facility. I'm not sure how many. Like, I don't think he gives a specific number, but, you know, you can at least tell that there are multiple people
0: who are supposed to already be there. And I'm already shouting at these people like don't go. Don't go in. There's, there's, I mean, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. The, the shaky cam aspect of it, it already is making me feel like something really horrible is going to happen. Um, very Blair Witch-esque. Yes, agreed. And uh, we also hear the speakers
2: talk about a three-day trip. So this gives us a, a rough sense of their internal timeline. And to your point, Mark, uh, it does appear that they are arriving late, perhaps, because they are assuming these other folks are there. The camera does give us a glimpse of the second speaker, not explicitly named by the one called Emily, but this student looks to be uh, one Matt Cavanaugh. According to police records, another one of the missing students. But this is just the first part. Let's continue. The next clip appears to jump ahead in time. At least I thought so, because as you said, the first shows a daytime exterior of the site and then entering into it. Uh, but the second clip seems to take place either in the evening or in the dark. What was that? What is it? You OK?
0: They grabbed at me.
2: We've only been here for five minutes, and you're freaked out already. Is it freezing in here? What
0: was that? You know, the first thing that occurs to me is. this definitely feels like it took place in the early '90s or maybe even the late '80s because it's like they're not able to phone their friends ahead. They don't seem to have cell phones. Um, it, the the clothing is very of that period. You know, if only they had had cell phones, they could have called ahead or at least known uh, where to find their 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 friends. Um, but you know, then we wouldn't have a story.
1: Or if only they turn the radio on for a minute so we could hear whatever the hit, you know, the top forty songs were. That would have been cool.
2: Or if they'd said, we're recording on month, day, year, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which would have been very yeah. helpful. And you may be thinking, well, cameras at this time in the 90s typically did have, because they were running on tape, right? They typically did have that time code, uh, timestamp. stamp, uh, but the quality is so bad uh, that you can't really make it out. Uh, and uh, we'll get to it in a second, but there are some serious questions about the provenance of this,
0: of what happened to this cop, this content before it got to us. It reminds me of that. What's that show that was on Netflix recently that was about like kind of like a dude who did like forensic rebuilding of uh, of videotapes? Archive 81. Archive 81. Yeah, This has the feel of something that's been like reassembled in some way after being perhaps heavily damaged. Mm-hmm for now we have to bracket
2: the idea of something moving in the background there because there's just not enough information to clearly distinguish who it could have been.
1: Um just you know looking at the footage guys I like you said bill I can't conclusively say there was a thing there but it looks like something like you said a humanoid figure of some kind that sort was of a shape in the know, shot like, yeah uh, yeah well in um that's the other thing. One of the other people in the in the footage here mentions being cold and like hitting a cold spot, which is mm. a very common thing that we've heard from you know from you from listeners as well as from our research that co- it coincides with some kind of let's say interaction with something from the other side, if it exists, and if there is some kind of interaction truly happening. A cold spot or coldness is often associated with it.
2: Right. And to be fair, it doesn't look like they have equipment to measure that temperature, right? So it's working off their personal sensations. At this point also, uh, we haven't actually heard or seen the other four students, right? Or whatever group they're supposed to be meeting up with. But of course, this is not the entirety of the footage we've received. And let's talk a little bit about the footage because you can tell we have some uh, serious issues with it. We spent some time looking over the video files themselves in depth, running them through a couple of different filters. And not to get too in the weeds about it, but one of the important things you want to do when you're doing any kind of um, forensic research into footage like this is you want to search the metadata. metadata. would plausibly tell us when something was actually created, right? As mm-hmm. long as the metadata isn't messed with. But when this was sent to us, it appears that someone had intervened somewhere in the chain of custody between this was when this was originally filmed and when we got it.
1: It does seem like when it was digitized, maybe, There was some tampering that occurred, or maybe just error, or maybe just a piece of software that automatically altered it. But we don't know. We can't confirm. It's just different.
2: So, you know, full disclosure, folks, we went back on forth on whether to air this footage because we thought it could be possibly a prank. You know, um, we're fans of pranks. We said, well, what if it's genuine? Uh, due to the quality of this footage, as well as our confirmation that somebody probably did mess with the source data, it is honestly hard to tell. But if it is genuine,
0: then the last thing we want to do is put anyone in danger. For sure. So uh, once again, we contacted local authorities, and we sent copies of the files. And after a few days, we actually gave them a call. Uh, and while they did acknowledge they would received our package they had absolutely nothing to say about uh, what we had sent them.
1: At least not yet, right? I, we Just to be fair, we only did that as a cautionary measure, right? In case this is real. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. Uh, we figured at least give it to them in case.
2: And since they did not explicitly forbid us from airing this, we made the decision to put it on now. And that's where we're going to leave the story for today. We will continue uh, stuff they don't want you to know is normal. But as we learn more, we will record a second update here and the investigation will continue. And so that is our show. Thank you so much. As always, tune in for our upcoming episodes on the way to you soon. Okay, well, uh, we're we're wrapped. That was a doozy.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a
2: nutty one, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I uh, to be honest, I'm a little weirded out that we kind of even put this out, guys, because I I maybe they really did see something when they were down there in that in that place.
2: I don't know. Yeah, Mark, you're the video expert, but uh, just between us, it kind of looked like a clown.
1: <laughs> like I didn't want to say that. <laughs> i think you might be right
0: it was clown like uh in shape and form that's for sure it had a big weird nose too very like schnoz- schnozzly bulbous yeah
1: i'm just kind of upset that the cops didn't like immediately get back to us and at least say oh yeah okay whatever this is nothing or thank you or something
2: know, it's very odd Right. Yeah. I mean, the public information officers are doing their best, but their hands are tied. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see.
0: Um, It's a weird one. Hang on, y'all. Someone's in my door. Oh, shoot.
1: Okay. Bill, um, do we know what we're covering next Tuesday? Yes. Yes. What?
0: It's another package. What? It's another package, and it looks just like the one we got with all the photos. And the thumb drive.
2: Is there a return address? No. Okay, let's meet up.